am Brenda. And hi, I'm Amber. And this is the Minority Millennial Money Podcast. The contents of this podcast are informational in nature and are not legal or tax advice. And neither Amber nor I, nor Minority Millennial Money, is engaged in the provision of legal, tax, or any other advice. You should seek your own advice from professional advisors, including lawyers and tax accountants, regarding the legal, tax, and financial implications of any financial decision you contemplate. another episode of Minority Millennial Money. Today we have a special guest. His name is David and he's a general surgeon and we're going to have him introduce himself uh, and tell us, how about David, you give us like the one minute version of <laughs> your uh, interest in personal finance and fire and later we'll get, we'll get into the longer versions later. All right. So uh, I'm Dr. David Roney, um, sort of Interesting background. I'm originally from Hawaii, grew up in sort of California all over. Uh, Compton and Long Beach is what I really call home. Uh, I grew up extremely poor, uh, went through quite a bit, ended up making it to the United States Naval Academy. I played two sports in college at the Division I level, basketball, ran track, uh, became a cryptologist, um, and then went on to uh, go to medical school. Now I am a robotic surgeon. Um, my interest in finance started completely because I grew, growing up the way I did, didn't really get an opportunity to really uh, become financially, I hate the word literate, but uh, my financial education was lacking. Um, and I had the benefit of a coach who I had some bad money habits, put me on an allotment and started a Roth IRA while I was in college. And I went to go look for that money. And this was at the height of the financial crisis. And so I'm seeing everything crash. I went to check on my money and everything is sort of uh, decreasing in balance. Um, so I went and called the company Primerica. And then they told me basically I, my money wasn't good enough. I didn't make enough money to talk to a financial advisor. And then that's when I was like, okay, I got to do this on my own again. And so since that time, that was in 2007, 2008. 2008-ish, I've been on a tear just learning everything that I can learn with regards to finance. Wow. So can you tell us what a robotic surgeon is? Because I, I know like I'm the only non-medical person in the room right now, but I have absolutely no idea what that is. Yeah. So I'm a general surgeon who specializes specifically, I try and do majority of my surgeries on the robot. Um, uh, now, I have been able to do that because I've been on assignment for the last year and I haven't had a robot where I am. But uh, it was something I made a concerted effort to do and I got certified while I was in residency. Um, so I graduated, you know, which was rare at the time, it's becoming more and more common. I graduated in the first day, I was qualified to do surgeries on the robot. And what that means is using uh, Intuitive's Da Vinci robot. A lot of people have probably seen the video of it doing surgery on a grape and all that stuff. It's very fine. So I sit at a console and I do very uh, sort of delicate surgeries on the robot. Wow. That's awesome. So what in, uh, inspired you, I guess, to go to medical school? You said that you grew up poor. And so I guess what was the point where you decided that, um, you know, medical school was the route to get you out of poverty? 
Well, you know, I actually didn't really think it was an option for me. I kind of fell into it. So uh, I, I grew up not really thinking that I was smart. I didn't, I knew I could play basketball and run track and do all the other stuff, but that was like my ticket. And then I got to Naval Academy and I, I validated some classes and I ended up in a uh, biology class where it was like me, one other freshman, and everybody else in there is uh, uh, seniors, juniors, sophomores. They're all older than me, right? So then I sat in that class and the teacher's like, hey, you know, uh, what does everybody want to do with their life? And I'm sitting here looking around like, I don't know what I want to do. Just stay quiet. And I'm listening to everybody. And they're like, oh, I'm, I'm going to medical school. I'm going to dental school. I'm going this. I'm going that. I'm looking around like, whoa, I'm a freshman. I'm in the same class with them. Does that mean I can do that? And so I went up after class and asked them, it's like, hey, uh, can I go to medical school? And he gave me a professor's name, Professor Chris Kinter at the Naval Academy. So I showed up to the guy's uh, office and he was like, yeah, if you want to go to medical school, you can do it. And um, since that point, it put the bug in my ear, like, oh, well, you know, I can be a doctor. And so like, I got made fun of a lot for that, right? Because matter of fact, my nickname in college was Doc and they were making fun of me. Right. They, that wasn't because they thought I was going to be a doctor. They honestly thought I was lying. Like, oh, no, there's nobody like you who can uh, become a doctor. So I, I had to believe in myself. And trust me, I almost quit a lot of times because the Naval Academy doesn't have a pre-med program. You have to overload your classes. So there'll be I'll be play, playing basketball, taking 22, 23 credits and trying to, like, do all the military stuff at the same time. And it was tough. I mean, and luckily, I, that professor, Professor Kinter, stayed on me and kept me focused. And I, I just happened to be in the right place at the right time and have the right people who believed in me after they heard my story and they helped me out. And because, um, I, honestly, I didn't think I was going to make it. And even when I went to my medical school interview, the director of admissions was like, I read your personal statement by accident. It was in, she was like, it was at the top of the, essentially the reject pile. And she happened to pick my personal statement up and she was sitting down to eat lunch and, and read it. And they offered me an interview. And then I got the interview. I killed the interview. They, uh, I interviewed on a Thursday. They called me the next day to let me know that I had a spot in the class because they rushed me through. And then uh, I graduated near the top of my class. I mean, I'm honestly floored at that whole story. I mean, that's that's like amazing. It's it's one of those things where it's like perseverance sort of meets, uh, you know, I don't want to call it luck, uh, but opportunity, opportunity where, you know, yeah, you literally you're in the right place at the right time. Yeah, I mean, it sucks that that's what you go through, but that's what I went through. So, David, I want to hear a little bit more about what made you decide to go into the military and what's different um what's different about the naval academy because I, I i'm not hearing you say navy is that the same thing i'm so i'm the non-military person in <laughs> out of the three of us <laughs> so, so tell those of us who are not military what you mean how you made that decision was it a decision you made because you were in poverty as a child did you um if you don't mind sharing a little bit about your family background and um, you know, what, you know, obviously you don't come from generational wealth. So, and neither do, do we, um, 
So can you explain a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. So the Naval Academy came about because uh, so I, was, I, I come from sort of an interesting situation. Me and my brother, um, we lived with our mom. Uh, my dad wasn't in the picture for a long time. And my mom suffered from uh, bipolar disorder, like really bad bipolar disorder. And so she would go in and out of the uh, hospital and she sort of had her final like quote unquote nervous breakdown. We don't really use that term anymore. Uh, when my junior year in high school, so I missed half the semester. Um, and so just trying to take care of her. So I, I wasn't even supposed to graduate on time. And uh, that summer, <clears throat> things sort of came to a head going into my senior year. And I started getting recruited pretty good for basketball. And my mom picked up the phone one day in one of her bipolar episodes and is on the phone talking to somebody. Uh, when I walk in, she hands me the phone to coach from the Naval Academy. And so, like, he shows up. And one of the first things he says to me is like, oh, well, uh, when you graduate, you have a guaranteed job. And he showed me how much you get paid. And then I was sold right there, right? Because um, my mom had never made more than 24000 in a year. <clears throat> so that was way more money. But the thing was like 42000 or something. He, he showed me what the pay was. And I was like, wait up, I get paid? Like, you can guarantee me a job, right? So that was my first step was I asked him just what I had to do. I just had to play basketball. I was like, oh, I just got to play basketball. I can do that, right? Because the... The end goal for me was always taking care of my family. Now, my mom passed away my second year in med school, the beginning of my second year. But, like, the, the goal was always secure finances for my family, right? Because I knew and I made a promise when I was a kid that to my grandmother that I would take care of my mom and make sure my brother was good. And I was just trying to keep that promise. And that was the best way for me to do it. The thing about basketball is I knew that because I had a catastrophic injury in high school when I broke my wrist. Uh, that it wasn't always going to be around. I couldn't, couldn't just count on that. So I knew I had to find something else as a backup plan. So that was my backup plan. It's like, well, you know, basketball don't work out. At least I got a guaranteed job that'll pay me X, Y, and Z money. And that's how I ended up at the Naval Academy. So the Navy Academy is just like West Point, basically, right? West Point is the Army. Yeah, unfortunately it is. Uh, <laughs> you know, the Naval Academy is the best one. And you got the Air Force Academy, Coast Guard Academy. Right. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. So did you end up commissioning after your, did you end up staying with the Navy for a few years after you graduated? Yeah. Um, so I, so everybody who goes to the Naval Academy graduates uh, commissions in either the United States Marine Corps, the United States Navy. So I, I, I became a commission officer afterwards. Um, and I originally was in the, I passed the nuclear interview, started in that community, and then switched over into uh, information warfare, also known as cryptology. Um, and so I was a, a naval officer um, during that first four years before going to med school. And then the Navy paid me to go to med school. And then now I'm finishing off my commitment from the Navy. Got it. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because when I think of a surgeon, I think of a person who has a lot of debt, especially if you don't come from money, right? So would you say that being in the military was the largest lever in helping you, you know, be on this path towards financial independence? 
without a lot of debt from your career? Because our last episode, we talked to someone who was making six figures without any education. And so now we're talking with someone to someone who's making well over six figures, I'm sure, um, with a ton of education, right? I'm sure you, you did your four years at the Naval Academy, you worked for the Navy, you went to medical school. I'm assuming you did five or six year surgical residency. So we're talking about 13 years, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting, right? Because as you guys know, you, you got to either change your time, right? If you're trying to really, if you're coming from nothing, you either have money, right? And you can pay for these things or you have to leverage something, right? You have to give your time up to get someone else to pay for it. And I learned that equation early, right? So I learned that, hey, you know, if I give them four years, they're going to pay X amount of dollars. And that, and for me, those dollars were that my Naval Academy education was, was well over 200,000, right? And then my medical school uh, education was well over 300,000 and they paid that. Now, granted, did I get out of medical school with a hundred percent no debt? Absolutely not. Because the thing that they don't tell you is there's a lot of hidden costs in this journey, right? Between the application fees, um, the interviews, the uh, audition rotations, the equipment, buying clothes, buying, paying for health insurance. Like there's a lot of things that add up. So did I get out of medical school with uh, zero debt? Absolutely not. But do I have as much as my classmates, right? I have some classmates that ended up with like 500, 600,000 in student loans. Nah, my mind are toward the low six figures. And I'm talking <laughs> about the six figures that have the one in front of it. Meaning another reason why I was like, hey, you know, I'm okay with that is because as a surgeon, right? I knew I was going to be a surgeon. And I knew that I could get a sign-on bonus that will cover the whole thing if I want to, Right. Right. And so, like, I knew my negotiating power, if I can just get this one rare skill, will allow me to negotiate a deal that will pay that debt off. Again, leveraging now, instead of my time, I leverage my skill for money. So what are your plans for after um, you're done? So is it, when is your contract over? And I guess, what is your plan for after you're done? So August 2023 is uh, when my commitment's up. And... Honestly, I, I, you know, I've been going back and forth, back and forth, because they re- moved my retirement date to 2035. And so, you know, the easy thing to do is be like, oh, well, you know, I'm just going to ride the military out, get that government pension. Uh, but to be honest, you know, I'm, I'm going to bet on myself and I'm going to get out. And uh, I'm probably, I think as of right now, I'll probably negotiate with a hospital uh, to do some coverage. And then uh, if it's possible, I mean, I, I would love to have my own private practice. Now, granted, medicine is sort of shifting away from that private practice model, but I really like the sort of business aspect of things, right? Because the thing about it is being a surgeon, yeah, I can impact, if I do 500 cases, uh, cases a year, I impact 500 patients. But the thing that I know is like the higher I go, my scope of impact actually increases. So I, my goal eventually is to be CEO of a hospital system somewhere. It's an aggressive goal but I think I can do it, right? Because the thing is, is there's not a lot of CEOs that even look like me, that look like us, right? And so I'm just trying to get a voice to those who don't understand what it's like to exist at the bottom. I think, I think that's, yeah, I think that's a great point. And the fact that, you know, 
and Amber and I have talked about this uh, off off the podcast, but I feel like a lot of minority you know young people we have this and and you mentioned this too about wanting to take care of your family right we all kind of have that pressure and that sense of duty and we also feel a sense of duty to our communities and a lot of us tend to not pursue those big ambitions because we want to like serve our community right but you are seeing a much bigger picture which is i'm not just gonna do my 500 cases a year and call it a day I want to have more influence and be in the positions of power that people that look like me are not usually in. Because for me, for example, like I, I teach in nursing programs and I've had students of color tell me, like, I've noticed you're the only faculty who's not white. Or they email me because they saw my name and they realize I'm Hispanic and they're like, can you like give me some career advice? So, so speaking of career advice, so I'm, your, your story is unique in the sense that it's yours, but there are lots of young black men growing up in poverty right now, right? So if you could meet the 15, 16, even eight year, 18 year old version of you today, what would you say to him? Survive, just survive, right? It's just, cause that's just the reality. Like my, the thing that a lot of people don't know is my, my I graduated high school at 17. Uh, two months before I graduated, I was in the ICU with a massive gastrointestinal bleed um, to the point that I was intubated and I don't even remember a couple weeks of my life. Um, and I almost died. And it was all just from stress. The amount of stress that I was under uh, just got to me. And that's why I say survive, right? Because the, the thing about it is when you try and do something abnormal, right? When you're, when you're trying to go from one economic wrong of the ladder to the next one, to the next one, to the next one. There's the, the higher you get to the top, there's less people who are going to look like you. And because there's less people who are going to look like you, you're going to, you're going to have a sword. You're going to stick out like a sore thumb and they're going to give you a hard time. Yeah. So every step of the way I was given a hard time. There was a lot of adversity and there was a lot of tough nights and a lot of frustration. And I, you guys can understand it. You guys, you're, you're at the height of the nursing profession. You're a lawyer, right? It's so like, Think about these things like that. The amount of the amount of crap that you have to swallow to get to the other side. And now that I'm on the other side, I look back like, oh, guess what? I have a rare skill. You can't take away my expertise. I am a doctor, right? And I was successful before I went to medical school. So I still have that expertise. So when I speak you're going to listen, right? <laughs> and that's just the reality, right? When I speak, you will listen because guess what? It was hard. I'm not going to sit back in the corner and be like, well, I made it. I don't have to worry about things. And let me just count my money and take care of my family and make sure they're good. No, that's not what I'm trying to do, right? right? Do I like being paid as a surgeon? Absolutely. I deserved it. I worked, like you said, 13 years and I put my time in, right? But at the same time, I see every look that gets given, right? Every time that someone makes a discriminatory remark about a woman, a uh, minority, about how that type of person shouldn't be in a profession. And I speak up every single time and I have no problem doing it because guess what? I'm 6'2 and I'm 205 pounds, right? What are you going to say to me, right? Not only that, it's like I, I work my tail off. 
right? So you, you can't say that I'm not working hard. I wouldn't have got here without working hard. Nothing was given to me. So I'm not going to be quiet about trying to help other people. I kick down doors and I leave them open so other people can go through it. Right. So right. I thought I, I go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I was gonna say I saw that you you wrote that on Twitter actually earlier today about how minorities are expected to sit down and, and sit in the corner. And that's so true. I mean, because our us with these positions um in, in high in high positions in these companies or in these hospitals or whatever, um, it's not like people accept us as they do our white counterparts, right? Like there's adversity within what we're doing every single day. Every single day, people still think we shouldn't have got there. Um, we don't deserve those positions. Um, so it's just it's just a really good point that you made. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, so I want to switch a little bit over to fire and I saw in your blog that you have a post about how you're going to make $20 million. And so tell us a little bit about, obviously you're, you're a man of big ambitions, but what, you know, I don't see you just like, I don't see myself truly leaving the workforce. I don't see you, you know, leaving the workforce and camping full time at age 45 or whatever. Um, so what is your particular version of fire and how are you planning to achieve that? So I, so I, I'm very, I'm not a fire advocate. I'm a financial independence advocate, not a retire early advocate. You want to know why? It's because I work too hard to get here. So why am I going right. to give that opportunity up to put more money in my, my grandkids, my great grandkids? Like I, I'm not giving that up. Now, what I will do, sense. we don't have that luxury, right? We don't have that luxury, yeah. right? Because at the end of the day, yeah, I did something abnormal, right? What if no one after me comes and do, does that for the next generation, right? So I got to take this opportunity to create as much wealth possible to make sure that, guess what? My, my kids, you know what? They, they're going to be the kids like, oh, your, your dad did this and your dad did that. Well, guess what? They get to start, instead of starting 500 yards back, they start 500 yards in front, right? So then they push it forward. And I just want this thing to snowball right? You hear about the Rockefellers, the these, the that, the Kennedys and all this stuff. They built that legacy off of someone putting the work in early, right? Knowing my great grandkids may not even understand how hard it was for me, but they, they're going to have an opportunity to do something that I will never get to do, right? And so for me, fire doesn't work. And I keep trying to tell people, like, when you're a minority, why are you stopping, Right? Like, just because you made enough money to be like, oh, well, I'm going to keep my expenses low and I'm just going to be content. Uh, mm -hmm. Fire to me is like being complacent, right? Yeah. You work too hard to get to where you are. You're not, you're not one of these situations where you can afford to go stay in your parents' house the entire time and save money. <laughs> I, I hate those posts, right? Because people are like, oh, well, you know, I retired at age 25 and I, I'm retiring on $80,000 a month. Remodel, they don't tell you for the last seven years they didn't have any bills because their parents paid their cell phone bill, all the house bills. Right. They paid all the uh, grocery bills and they just stacked their money. I don't have that opportunity. Right. right. Because I have to build wealth and build a family all at the same time. Right. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. You know, we 
and there's nothing wrong, you know, if that's what you want to do. And I, and I think it comes easier to people who perhaps don't have our backgrounds, right? Because we we feel like like the struggle is here to stay, and we're fighting we're fighting the struggle for our future, for our children, and for our children's children. And so I want it to be normal for there to be PhD prepared Hispanic women. You know, I mean, I, I want that to be like not a big deal. Like sometimes I tell people and they're like, you know, I was telling somebody recently that I, I want a scholarship. So I, I my, my PhD is paid for and I get paid to do it. And, um, and somebody said something like, well, you got that because you're Hispanic. But I didn't because I'm highly qualified. I'm very smart, you know, and, and I'm and I earned it. It wasn't like a it wasn't a need. We need a Hispanic person in the program type of thing. Um, I'm sure they I'm sure the diversity and equity office loves it. Um, but anyway, I just sometimes I struggle to respond to those kinds of things because I'm like, I can't deny that affirmative action is a thing. Right. But also. What gives you the right to say that that's the only reason or that's the major reason that I am where I am? That that reminds me, you know, my second year of med school, we had a, uh, so I, I was notorious for not going to class. What I did is I would go sit in the same spot every day, uh, Monday through Friday, and then uh, a little bit on Sunday in the library, same chair, like so much that people like uh, accuse me of etching my name into the chair like no one else could sit there right <laughs> but after a test uh, someone came up to me one of my classmates came up to me and was like would you get on the exam because after a while people start getting competitive and so I told him because I, I always was routinely I finished these three-hour exams in roughly about an hour or less right and uh, he came up to me and was like oh there's no way you beat me and then I showed him my exam I was like because I don't really care it's a, it's a test right and uh, he was like, there's no way you're supposed to be beating me. How'd you get this score? And I just looked at it. I was like, I worked hard and I walked off. And I, I used to deal with that crap all the time, right? And it's not the first time it happened. Even at the Naval Academy, I was the guy who would sleep through class and still pass the exam. And one of my uh, instructors my senior year told me, hey, you know, um, I know you did well on the final exam, but, uh, you know, so-and-so is going to grad school eventually. You're probably never going to grad school, so I'm just going to give him the B and then give you a C. What? Excuse me? Yeah, I mean, that's the stuff I dealt with, right? Because, it's rank, you know, right? The grading, yeah. is that what you're explaining? Yeah, it's, no, I'm talking about, like, actual grading class. Mm -hmm. So he put a C on my transcript because he wanted to make sure uh, my white counterpart got a chance to go to grad school because he said there was no way I was ever going to go. Mm -hmm. Now, mind you, I'm a whole doctor now, right? Despite his <laughs> a whole one, a whole doctor now, right? I'm a whole <laughs> surgeon despite his, his issue. Right. But that's just my thing. Like that, that's the reason like the, that blood, sweat and tears that you put in to get to where you are, it matters, right? right. This is the payoff for that. Now, granted, we all have our own financial goals. We all have things that we want to do. The thing that I really want to do, I want a PhD in applied physics, but I can't get there. 
I can't even think about that until I hit a certain number and I can snowball this thing. Mm -hmm. Once I do that, then I'm, then I'm done with that. Right. That's, that's on its own. That'll work. And then I can do what I really want to do. Right. Because I know that PhD is not going to make me any money. It's more intellectual curiosity for me. Right. right? And, and that's the choices that you got to make when you come from means you can make the, Oh, I just want to chase my passion. <laughs> right. I'm passionate for helping people. And I just happen to be a surgeon, which is a high, high paying thing. But like surgery is a skill that I have. It doesn't define who I am. Who I am is a person who likes to learn, right? And likes to tackle hard problems. So whether that's in surgery, finance, technology, like it, it that's who I am. Surgery is just one little aspect of what it is and that allows me to get paid. Go ahead, Amber. No, go ahead. Okay, so I wanted to touch a little bit more on what you said at the beginning, because I, I believe this is what happened to me as well. And something I would say to someone who was younger is find a mentor or identify those people in your life who believe in you, right? Because you said you had a teacher or a professor who said, yeah, you could go to med school. Like, like it was so obvious, you know, and and then that planted that seed in you. And so I think that made a huge difference for me as well, because I had awesome teachers in high school and it was just assumed that I was going to go to college. Like I was in the top 10 of my graduating class, even though I was the only non-white person, I didn't think that I wouldn't go to college, you know, and, and they, they helped me with my applications. They wrote my letters. So I do. You want to stress that, that, you know, we are in a sense self-made, but most of us have had that person, whether it was our parents or someone else within our social circle that believed in us. I don't know, Amber, what do you think about that? Because I don't know if I've heard you specifically say that. I mean, I just haven't had that experience, to be honest. Like my high school educators were all quite horrible. Um, and I don't, <laughs> and I went to art school for college and I never really had a professor who particularly was like nice or believed in me. I mean, honestly, for me, I just feel like sometimes you have to encourage yourself. And for yeah. me, that person's always just been me, like to just keep going, to pursue, uh, you know, whatever I wanted to. No adult in my life coming up was helpful. Uh, mm. So, and I think a lot of people are in that situation where you grow up in, in the hood or you grew up in a bad neighborhood where it just seems like every single adult has it wrong. And mm. sometimes you're like, am I just, I'm just like crazy here. Like, you know, mm. how do I do this? And you just got to keep going. You got to read books. You got to search. I mean, I talked about this on the podcast. I used to read those Encyclopedia Britannical um, encyclopedias that used to be mailed to our house. I definitely um, had that set too. <laughs> yeah, so I, me and my brother used to read those too, uh, especially because we lived in Compton during the Rodney King riots. Mm -hmm. And it was like martial law, so you couldn't really go outside. Yep. And so my grandmother, Finger Hut, bought those uh, Encyclopedia Britannicas and I would just sit back there devouring yes. information, right? <laughs> but like, I, same thing as Amber, like I personally... Uh, the people who came along and sort of course corrected me were by accident, mm. not by design, by complete accident. Um, I, my senior year in high school, I'm like couch surfing. My mom's in the hospital and I, I have to, uh, I get a call saying I need to increase my SAT score. I was struggling on the verbal side, not the math side. And I broke down crying from all the stress. And my teacher just gave me a hug. 
right? And she was like, what is going on? I see something, I see you having this conflict. I was like, you know, like the only way for me to take care of my family is I got to get to college. Mm. And I'm not going to get to college if I can't get a higher verbal score. And then I can't, uh, I don't know how to do that because I can't afford tutoring because we don't have any money. And she was like, I'll tutor you. And so then she helped me out, right? Tutored me for free. She didn't have to. I increased my SAT score, got to college. And then when I got to college, Chris Kenter was the one. He wasn't even my professor, right? He just was, he was someone that I end up being a, my advisor, but like he, he was just there. He sort of guided me because I, I showed up at his office and asked him a question and he, he heard my story and believed him. After that, it was a guy by the name, he's an orthopedic surgeon by the name of Evan Jones. Evan was a resident in uh, orthopedics when he wrote my letter of recommendation to even get into college, right? So I'm not college, getting into residency in in medical school. And like, I I just, like, there's just like little small things that happen along the way. But like, for the most part, like people turn their back, Mm. right? It was a lot of, lot of times that I just had to deal with people turning their back on me. And it's frustrating. It is frustrating. So I've tried to do make a concerted effort of not turning my back on anyone. If someone asks for my time, I say, okay, how can I help? Right. And that's kind of the attitude we're trying to have with this podcast, right? It's like, this is the information we've accumulated over the years and we are in positions now where we want to share this and make this not so mysterious or like, it's not like it's not impossible you just have to want it and like you said you have to put in the work and I think that's the key right that's the big secret like there are no secrets you just work hard for it and you overcome all the obstacles and you don't let it get to you when you get the comments or when you're not supported or when someone else is chosen over you even though you're you're more qualified absolutely I really like what you said about not pursuing your passion, because I think that's something that me and Brenda have talked about, because I think minorities sometimes fall into this trap of pursuing, you know, sociology or psychology or something because they come from bad neighborhoods and they want to understand, you know, sociology. And then they get these degrees that don't produce an income, frankly, um, Mm -hmm. or don't produce a good enough income. And so I guess, do you have any more words on on that? Absolutely. Like, you got to remember, on on everything you do, there is, like, you got to put a price tag to it, right? So, like, if you know a four-year degree costs X amount of dollars, you got to figure out how you're going to pay for that. And if you know you got to pay for 20% of that, okay, that's the number you got to go with. So then on the back end, you're going to be like, well, what, what is my prospects in that field? If it turns out that the only thing I can do with this degree is go to grad school, well, well, what am I going to do in grad school that's going to uh, give me a degree that's going to pay me back, right? Because you're robbing from your future self when you pay for tuition, right? That's money that your future self can get. Because the reality is, if you truly want them, if money was the only thing you're after, there are ways to do that that you never have to go to college. You can make a great living being a plumber, a carpenter, an electrician, right? There are careers that you can get if you want to, if you don't even want to be a BSN, you can be an RN straight out of community college. 
you can do so many things that will provide income and provide a good income at a little bit of cost, right? Everything, we have to run our life essentially on paper. It has to look like a business, right? That tuition is your overhead, right? That's part of the, the overall business plan of how you're going to approach life. And that's the way I think about it, right? I, the degrees that I've pursued have always been with the greater goal in mind. My undergraduate degree is in applied mathematics, right? Applied math lets me go into anything I want to go into, right? So I, it left the, it kept my options open. I've always been about keeping my options open and not closing doors. And so I think that's very important to talk about when you think about, hey, I'm going to get this criminology degree. Okay, what are you going to do with a criminology degree? Are you going to law school? Right? Oh, no, I'm not going to law school. I want to be a police officer. Okay, you don't need a criminology degree to be a police officer. That's just a reality. That's just expensive paper, right? right? That's just a reality. Or communication studies. A lot of people get sold on the idea that a college degree is the way to make money, but it's really not the, not the degree, but the skill, right? Mm -hmm. You have a skill that's valuable. And for example, my degree, I got a BSN that gave me a very valuable, lucrative skill that then allowed me to go to grad school for almost free. And now I, you know, am able to build wealth easily. Um, but I, if I had gotten a degree in psychology, I don't know where I would be right now, right? Because that's not a tangible skill that our society values. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think we have to do a better job about teaching people about that as well, right? Sure. And part of it is like, I, I didn't get any direction about what to major in. I just got a form was like, here, fill this out. And I was very into computers early, and before I can even apply to the computer science major at the Naval Academy, I got a letter rejecting me. Right? <laughs> I'm in my freshman year. We're about to uh, sort of select majors. Now, mind you, I, I was very good at math, very good at physics, very good like at all the sciences, in, including everything technology related. And they rejected me before I even applied to say I, I didn't fit the criteria for that degree. And I was just like, oh, wow, I didn't even want a computer science degree, but thank you for letting me know, right? It's the same concept. When I showed up to medical school, they told me that I was going to need a tutor. I never needed a tutor outside of tutoring me for the SAT. I always tutored other people. So I showed up, I was like, nah, I'm good. I'll be fine. And I proceeded to, as a kind of being a little uh, arrogant I didn't even study the night before and I went out and got a 98 on the first anatomy exam so while the rest of my classmates are freaking out I was out with the second years having fun right <laughs> and, and I did it to prove a point because they kept doubting me mm. right like they the only reason why they thought I needed a tutor is because the other African Americans that came to that school needed a tutor and I was like oh I see you guys are pigeonholing me in a box so well, I see where we're going to go with this. Who knows if they really needed a tutor? Maybe it was just, they actually, <laughs> did. you know what I mean? Maybe they didn't. Maybe they were just, it was just imposed on them. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So what are you doing with finance now, David? You, you, I know you have a website. Um, what, what is your platform? So I, I run the certify, S-U-R-G-I-F-I.com uh, blog. And the whole reason why, 
I started, it was because at the start of the pandemic, when they first announced that everything got shut down, I was watching people uh, sort of lose their jobs left and right, have to go on GoFundMe. And I'm just like, man, you know, I, these people got some good jobs. Like, well, why, why are they like hurting this bad for money? And then I started reading a bunch of articles and it, would, it really depressed me because I was like, man, I really just want to help. I want, how can I help? How can I help? So my brother challenged me to uh, put everything that's in my head that I've accumulated over a decade in, of finance and do, sort of help people that way. Just share that knowledge, right? Because I, there's a lot of things that I learned, including how to repair my credit, how to budget correctly, how to look for, how to evaluate a deal, how to do this. And I had to learn those over time. And so he was like, man, start a blog and just put it out there. I was like, man, nobody's going to read it. Nobody, I, like, and there's no, why would anybody read me, right? And uh, I put it out there because he, he set the challenge. And then I wrote a couple of articles and then I got some good feedback. So I was like, okay, let me write a couple more. And then I wrote some more and then I wrote some more. And then now I'm, I'm generating not the greatest. So I mean, I just started advertising it really, but I get about 50 to 60 hits per day, people reading. Um, which over the first corporate, the year, the first year that I had the blog, I generated about 5,000 visits to it. Um, but now, I mean, at this pace, I'm on track basically over the next year to do like 20,000 visits for the next year. So we'll see how it works. But I, all I do is just try and tell finance from my experience and I try and make it in a relatable way. I'm, I'm not using a bunch of jargon and I just talk. Right. I, I write in a conversational tone so that people can understand it. That's awesome. Yeah, that's similar. I mean, I had the same thing similar to I wrote a, a lot of ebooks and it's the same thing. Like I just had all this information in my head and that's how I started writing books for people like how to go to college, what to major in, how to fix your finances. So I can definitely um, relate to that. Yeah. So everybody, um, I think we're good, unless you have more questions, Amber, or is there anything else you'd like to share, David? No, nah, this has been fun. Yeah, it's been great. Um, so again, your website and blog is at surgify.com. That's S-U-R-G-I-F-I.com. And that's your Twitter, Twitter handle as well, right? So funny story. So my Twitter handle is FiSurgy because somebody's Fi-Surgy. been... Someone's been sitting on the Surgify handle for like 15 years or something, and they don't post a thing. Oh. <laughs> have you reached out to them? No, it's not that big of a deal. It's, it's, a okay. good, it's good to have a good story, right? So that's the reason why my Twitter handle is okay. that. So yeah. Surgify.com, F-I-Surgy on Twitter. Do you have any other social media you want to talk about? Yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm not very active on Instagram, but you can find me at Surgify on there. Uh, and there's a Facebook page, Surgify, which uh, my main platform for really uh, doing anything is Twitter, because mainly I can go back and forth with people. It's easier to engage it on is. Twitter because it's almost conversational like as opposed to like, I don't really like taking a bunch of pictures and stuff like that on Instagram. It's just not my thing. But Twitter, I can just post rapid fire all these things that are going on. I can have a bunch of conversations with a lot of people and I just enjoy right. it. We, right. uh, we are very avid Twitter on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> We're very avid tweeters, probably like the only ones in our generation. <laughs> um, and speaking of social media, we wanted to uh, remind our listeners to please go on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen 
and write a review um, just so that whenever people are searching for us, it's more likely that our podcast comes up. Please share it. Repost our Instagram stories. Um, we've gotten a lot of great feedback recently, and we really appreciate it. Amber, do you want to ask for anything else while we're making requests? <laughs> oh, yeah. And buy my books on Amazon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Amazon.com, type in Amber Porter. And it's also in our link tree in all of our bios. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Um, have a great day. And we'll see you next time.